Amen, amen. Well, thank you, worship team, so much. Yeah. Happy Mother's Day. Some of the men out there said thank you. Uh, your, your day is coming, you know. I know it's 2022, but we still, we still have to wait, right? I might be a little biased, but I, I think that I had the best mom in the world. And, and if you don't think that, uh, you know, you're wrong. Uh, so... <laughs> Not only did I have the best mom, but now I have the best wife, who is the best mother to my two adorable children. Uh, I am convinced that we cannot praise our mothers enough. Um, I love that some of you are willing to, to come to church with your mothers and, and grandmothers. Some of you are here for the first time maybe today because your mom or, or grandma told you that you had to come. So thank you for listening to them. Doesn't usually happen on Father's Day like that, but uh, I just want to say hi to my mom. She's watching online. I'm not just like, my mom's not this camera right here, so I'm not crazy. Well, a little crazy, but I know that that's not my mom, but she's watching, so hi, mom. I love you. Uh, there's nothing on earth that can prepare you for being a mother. Is that right? There's no class that you can take that when you have a kid, you're like, oh, I was, I'm ready for this. I, I got this. I know. Uh, the amount of selflessness and patience and kindness and grace that you are just asked to embody as soon as you become a mother. There's nothing on earth that can prepare you for that. On top of that, the thing that's really tough that I see is a lot of moms, they face a lot of judgment, right? Because every, I think every two minutes they change what should you lay the, the baby? Should you lay it on its side? Or should, you know, how tight should you swaddle them? Or, you know, on their backs or on their bellies? And so every mom has an opinion because they were told something and somebody told them that what they were doing was wrong. And so now they're going to tell you that you're doing it wrong. So there's a lot of stress on top of being a mom. Now there's a lot of other moms and, and, it's, and it's just really hard. It's really hard how any mom is sane or collected or loving in the first five years of their kids' lives is impossible to me. So thank you, moms, for not killing us uh, in that time. Again, huge shout out to Catherine and Joyce. Uh, Joyce is my mother and uh, all the moms who know exactly how hard it is to be a mom. I hope today your family showers you with the love and the praise that, uh, that you deserve. So uh, being as it is Mother's Day, I wanted to tell a story of one of my favorite mothers in the Bible. So we're going to go Old Testament. Here we're going to go to 1 Samuel. And uh, if you kind of look at my Bible, we're, like, we're maybe like one-fifth, 20% of the way through your Bible is First Samuel, so after Joshua judges Ruth, and then we got First and Second Samuel. So that's where we're going to be today. I'm not going to read uh, all of the passages just because it's, it's a really long story, and I, I just wanted to, to tell the story. Uh, this is how it begins. There's a man... I know it's Mother's Day, you're like, why are we starting that way? Uh, but this is how the story starts. There's a man from the tribe of uh, Ephraim whose land was about uh, 15 miles north of Jerusalem, 15 miles north of Jerusalem. Uh, his name, which really isn't important, is Elkanah, Elkanah. It's like, anybody name their kid Elkanah? Nope. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, he made the terrible decision to marry two women. Uh, the greatest blessing in your life is your wife. And when you have two of them, it's also your greatest hardship. So he made, the, he made that bad decision. He thought it was going to be good and turned out it didn't go out so, didn't go so well. Uh, they're, they're, these two women's names are Hannah and Penina. Again, anyone name their kid Penina? 
I know you know some Hannahs, and we're going to talk about why you know some people named Hannah. Uh, they, uh, Penina had several children with Elkanah. And although Hannah kept trying, she kept trying to uh, have kids with Elkanah, she was unable to, to conceive. So each year, Elkanah would lead his family to the place of worship, and they would sacrifice there. Now, when you came to like the altar of sacrifice, you had to pay money, right? You had to give the priest or whoever was working there, you had to give them money, so then they would give you the sacrifices, and, and then you would make your sacrifices. And if you were the father, you would pay for your wife and your kids. And so what would happen is they would come to the temple of worship, and there Elkanah would pay for Penina's, you know, sacrifices as well as, as her children, which were his children too. And then for Hannah, he would give her a double blessing because she did not have uh, any kids. And he thought that that would be enough, that that would fill Hannah's heart. But it didn't. He, he, he felt bad for her. He was trying to do the right thing. Um, and we'll talk about how dumb we are as men sometimes. Okay. Uh, we don't know a lot about Penina because the story isn't about her. The story is not about her offspring, um, but she's not someone that we want to emulate. She's not someone as a mother that we want to be like, okay, we want to act like her and talk like her, and we'll, you'll see why here in a second. So uh, Hannah would take her sacrifice and would go to the priest, and, and, and she would weep, and Penina would make fun of her. Actually, this is what it says. This is in, in verse 6. It says, uh, and her rival, so this is, her is Hannah, rival is Penina, used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. Because it's not enough grief that Hannah was experiencing on her own to not be able to bear children, that the other wife, right, because she was married to a man, and uh, his other wife would intentionally mock her. It's interesting here, uh, Penina is called her rival, her rival. And the Hebrew word, not that you care, it's sa-ra, and it literally means, it's, it's, a, it's a combining of, of two words, which means uh, so, uh, like oppression and like person. So it's a person of oppression. So this person is intentionally beating her down. Usually when we think about a rival, like it's like college football, Oregon State versus Oregon, right? Uh, that that they, have, they have a chance Right? Usually when you have a rival, you have a chance to, to, to win, that, that you have something to, to fight for, but that's not what this word means. It, it just means that she was an oppressor. The other wife in her house. Man, it was, it was, it was insanely difficult for Hannah because during this time of history, um, you know, this wasn't a, a sexist thing, but, but women didn't go to school. Women didn't work jobs outside of the house for the most part. Women didn't go out and, and do things in the, in the community so that they could provide for themselves the way that women were provided for was by getting married to a rich man. Can I get a name in? So they'd get married to a rich man and then they would bear him children and then those children would be blessed. But if you didn't have any kids, the, the blessing would stop with you. And so for Hannah, she really wanted her family line to go on. 
And all of the things that, that for every other woman in her community that made up their identity, she was not able to participate. On top of that immense amount of grief, she had Penina, who was mocking her. Emotionally and spiritually manipulating her, berating her, mocking her because of her emotional distress. In verse 7, in 1 Samuel, tells us that it happened for years. Year after year, this would happen. This isn't a one-time occurrence. This is a lifetime of toil that it took on Hannah's heart. And as Hannah is weeping and struggling in her childlessness, Penina was an evil and spiteful woman who was trying to keep Hannah depressed and downtrodden. Seems like in spite of the fact that Penina had the children, she was still trying to keep Hannah down so that she was the better wife. She wanted more attention from Elkanah, so she tried to make Hannah hate herself. And in verse 8, it says, And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Um, uh, guys, um, don't, don't, don't do that. <laughs> now, uh, I, I know sometimes that we, we do our best, right? We're trying to kind of lighten the mood or, you know, in, encourage our, our spouses or, or people around us. Um, but it kind of seems like this is a, this is a husband. He just wasn't, he he just, he just didn't get it, right? This wasn't, he wasn't there, you know? And I, and, I, and I can't give him too grief, too much grief, because I, I personally, I have that foot and mouth disease, right? Where you open your mouth and you insert your foot. Just seems like whenever the wrong thing, whatever the wrong thing to say is at the time, like that's what I find myself saying. And even when I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna say it, don't say it, and then I find myself saying it, right? And then it's like, ah, oh, man. What? And that's what happened here, because... Uh, you'll notice it was really, really, really dumb because what was Hannah's response to his statement? It was so, she didn't even have one. You know, you ever say something so dumb to your wife that she can't even reply to you? She, I, she's like, I don't, I'm just gonna go. So yeah, it was just, it was one of those. It was one of those. But if, if you find your wife not eating and weeping, most of the time, the best thing that you can do is say Nothing. Just show up, put your arm around her. You can encourage her, but, but don't try to say that you're more important than her having 10 sons. Like, that's, that's really dumb. Uh, so if you have to choose between saying something dumb or saying nothing, choose nothing. Okay? Amen? Amen. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's kind of crazy when you think, when we read this next part of the story, that she didn't respond to her husband because it's, it doesn't get any better for us men as we go on in this story. Uh, so Hannah, she wasn't, uh, so what would happen is, is when you would come that time of year, you would come to the, the temple and you would make your sacrifices and you would have a great feast. And in this feast, there was alcohol and food. And sometimes at, at these gatherings, the people that had alcohol would have too much alcohol. And, and that was, it was kind of uh, something that, that happened a lot. And so the, the priests of the temple, they were used to seeing people that were just wasted and just, you know, fumbling around. And so, but Hannah wasn't eating or drinking. 
she wasn't participating in the feast because her heart was just too stricken with grief. And, and she comes to the temple sober to, to pray. She's weeping bitterly. She's in great distress. And, and she says this prayer in verse 11. This is what it says. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. So Hannah makes this promise to the Lord that if he were to give her a son, that she would devote him, she would give him to be a servant of the Lord for his whole life. Have you ever made a deal with God? I, I know that, that, that I have. You know, like uh, when you're in great distress and you feel like there's just no other way out, it's like, God, if you get me through this, then I will. I, I love the phrase that there are no atheists in a foxhole. And you hear that a lot when people are telling their stories in World War I and World War II, right? God, if you can get me out of this, I promise I'll stop drinking so much. And I promise I'll stop, you know, cheating on my wife. And, you know, like all of the promises that you hear, these stories that people make, because they're trying to make a, a, a deal with God. And that's what Hannah is trying to do here. She's in such distress. She doesn't, she doesn't know what to do. She doesn't really want to give her son to be a servant of the Lord because what she really wants is a servant to pass her, her genealogy down through to give her love to. But she's so desperate that she's willing to say, God, if you give me a son, I promise I won't, I won't even like, keep him as my own. I'll, I'll give him back to you. It is interesting that it's Hannah's promise. Usually when you make a promise, it's something that you will do, right? God, if you, if you protect me, I promise that I will do this. I will go into ministry. I promise I will be a better dad, whatever it is. But she is promising, if you give me this son, I will give him right back to you. If you give me the son I've been wanting my whole marriage and have suffered greatly for, I promise I'll give him to you for a lifetime of service. It's a beautiful prayer. Eli was the priest of the temple at that time while Hannah was praying. So he was a pastor, right? So he's, he's watching over the temple, making sure that it doesn't get ruined. Uh, he's also there to help with the sacrifices, to offer prayers, all of those things. And while Hannah was praying, and again, as a man, I'm, I'm deeply embarrassed by this. Uh, most, again, most people, most people were eating and drinking too much. And so that's his understanding that everyone that comes to the temple has already partied way too hard. And so he just assumed that Hannah was one of these people. Because the Bible tells us that as she was praying, she wasn't saying the words out loud. She was just mouthing them. So all Eli sees is this woman who's on her knees praying and just mouthing the words and just crying and weeping. So that, those are actions of a drunk person. And so that's what he assumed. And so as she's praying, he, 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 he tells her this. This is verse 14. This is Eli the priest, the man of God. This is what he says to Hannah. How long will you go on being drunk? It's like we got her husband saying, am I not more important than 10 sons? And now the priest of the temple where she comes to worship accuses her of being a drunk. It's a rough trip for Hannah. It's a rough time of worship. He doesn't know her. He didn't talk to her. He just assumed 
the worst. So we're going to read verses 16 and 17. So remember that when, when Elkanah, her husband, said something really dumb, she didn't even respond. But to Eli, to this accusation of her being drunk, she's going to respond. Okay, this is verse 16 and 17. Hannah says, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Man, imagine that you are, are coming to this church to pray, whatever it is. You are so desperate for the Lord to hear you that you go to the one place that you, you are just sure that he's going to hear you here. And as you come down to pray, and you're just weeping and crying. You're not even saying the words out loud. You're just mouthing them and saying them to God in your head because you have so much faith. You know that the Lord of the universe can hear your thoughts. And then I come to you and tell you, how about you quit drinking? How about you quit being drunk? I don't think your response would have been as great as Hannah's was. I know if that was me and I had come to the church and I was praying in that much distress and someone accused me of being an alcoholic or drunk, my response would not have been so kind. This showed us Hannah's heart. And it also showed us that Hannah's heart was breaking. Because she says, do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. And the reason that she said that is because as a woman who couldn't bear children, that's how she viewed herself. And that's how Penina the other wife in her house viewed her. So she was saying, hey, I feel like a worthless woman everywhere that I go. Please don't put that upon me here. This is the one place that I had to come to just be a, a daughter of God. Please don't put that on me here. Infertility is, is really rough. Even, even today, as we have women that now have equal rights, you know, my wife has more college education than I have. Uh, it's, it's, still, it's still a huge difficulty because part of Catherine and I's story is that when we decided that we were ready to have kids, first of all, it's really dumb. Again, no one's ever ready to have kids. <laughs> right? You say, ah, oh, I'm so excited. It's going to be great. It's like, uh, you know, there's a, I, I once uh, had a guy tell me, he's like, hey, if you want to get ready for having kids, you should just train to become a Navy SEAL right? That not sleeping for 72 hours and like just running until you're just exhausted, like that, that'll get your body ready at least, you know? So it's like, okay, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, but we thought we were ready to have kids. And, and, and so we, we started, uh, you know, trying to have kids. And the first couple months, it was, it was easy to convince ourselves that it just, you know, sometimes these, these things take time. It just takes a while. Uh, but after five months, you know, Catherine would begin to weep at the end of, of every month, you know? And to make matters worse, one of Catherine's friends got pregnant and called Catherine to tell her about it to complain because she wasn't married and didn't have a boyfriend and was just like, what am I going to do? And I remember Catherine, like, kept her composure, but as soon as, as soon as she got off that phone, she just, I think she cried harder than I'd ever seen her cry in my life. 
it's hard as a husband to not be able to fix the problems, right? Because that's what we do as men in, in relationships. We, we fix things. We fix the house. We fix the car. We try to fix our wife's problems. That's what we, that's what we do as men. Um, and I just, I just remember every month just being like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I can't fix it. So then we looked at the possibility of like infertility, uh, you know, uh, in vitro or something like that, fertility treatment. Um, but it was crazy expensive. And so we're like, man, I, I just don't think, I don't think I can afford to like pay for this, but I, I don't know if I can afford not to uh, because of, you know, Catherine's uh, emotional toll it was taking. But eventually, after about nine months, she, she got pregnant. And it could have been a harder pregnancy. And, you know, it was, it was, pretty, it was pretty fine. It was okay. It wasn't easy. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a, a female in our friend group that, she says, oh, being pregnant was the best time of my life. I'm like, what? She goes, oh, yeah, my hair grew longer and more beautiful and was straighter, and I, I just had this glow about me. And I'm like, it wasn't, you weren't puking your brains out and <laughs> on an emotional roller coaster every day? Speaking of that, when we went to Disneyland and rode roller coasters, Catherine couldn't ride any of the roller coasters. So it's like, not only are you on this emotional roller coaster, but you're not on a physical one. Uh, so it's like, that is what, like, that's what you want, whatever. So, okay. But, you know, Catherine was a rock star. She was a rock star. And, you know, like, again, nothing can really prepare you for that, uh, that feeling that, uh, you know, your hormones and, and just all of those things that happen. Uh, Catherine was, was amazing, and she gave birth to Hosanna, our daughter, and she was the answer to our prayers. We didn't have those, this moment that Hannah had because we knew that we could adopt, and you know, we could, again, we had infertility stuff that we could, we could do. We could go get tested. We could figure out which one of us was the, you know, the one that was having a difficulty with this. Hannah didn't have any of those things. All that she had was prayer. And sometimes, sometimes I wish that that's what we truly believed was all we had to. Because prayer wasn't Catherine and I's first response to us not getting pregnant. I'll be honest about that. There was a lot of crying. There was a lot of, hey, let's see if we can fix this problem. And I am, I am wowed by Hannah's faith because she leaves the temple full of hope and her hope was that this year would be the year that she would get pregnant and that next year she would bring a son to the temple and devote him to the lord and she left it said that she left not being sad anymore and let me ask you this in this story did she leave not being sad because she was pregnant did God promise her that she was going to get pregnant? No, she left the temple not sad because she knew that the Lord had heard her. And if you've ever been in a, in a situation where you feel helpless, unloved, unwanted, just the fact that God heard her, listened to her in her distress and cared about her, that was enough to make her not sad in that moment. But the Lord heard her. The Lord heard her prayers and blessed her. 
It says that Hannah conceived and she gave uh, birth to her son Samuel. And Samuel comes from the Hebrew words Shema and El. Shema. There's, not, there's no vowels. I don't know if you knew this. There's no vowels in the Hebrew language. It's just a bunch of consonants together. So it's like the vowels are things that you kind of have to make up sometimes. And so uh, Shmel El, so uh, Sam, Sam, Samuel, uh, and that, that uh, Hebrew word uh, that means El for God and Shema meaning heard. So God has heard. It's a possibility, again, Hebrew, there's lots of different meanings, but that is, most uh, scholars say that that is uh, the meaning for this. And Hannah was faithful to her promise. Uh, as soon as Samuel was weaned, and when it came time for Hannah to come to the temple of worship, she brought Samuel, her only son, to the temple along with the sacrifice and worshiped the Lord and dedicated Samuel to a life of service to the Lord. And I don't know if you looked at, at, at your Bible, but the name of this book is First Samuel. Mm-hmm. I would like it if it just said Hannah's son, but that's, uh, that's a different conversation for a different time. Uh, but this is what Hannah prays. So this is in verse 27, if, if, if you're with me, verses 27 and 28. So she's talking about Samuel here. She said, for this child I prayed, And the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. Hannah was content with having had the experience of conceiving, giving birth, feeding, and raising a child to a young age. Her prayers were answered and she was overfilled with joy. As a matter of fact, if you look at at chapter 2, the first 10 verses there is a beautiful prayer that we don't have time to read today, but I would love for you to read that. This is Hannah's prayer. It is amazing. And that's actually one of the things that we see time and time again with mothers in the Bible, Mary's prayer and Hannah's prayer. We have these amazing women of God. The way that they pray is something that I, I long for, that I strive for. She knows who God is. She praises him. It's, it's, it's incredible. I suggest you go back and read that after today, uh, today's message. But the, the part of it that I think was so interesting to me is that she was so content with what had happened. I mean, we're, we're, Hosanna is three, almost four. She's three months or three years and 11 months old. It has been so hard. You guys, for those of you who are a little um, uh, more uh, well-aged, do you remember when your kids were really young? That that was the hardest time. I mean, like all of of the accounts of of children, they're saying like six to 10, those are usually the easy years where they're just kind of playing and they're fun. Uh, You know, they... Uh, they can dress themselves. They, they go to the bathroom by themselves. You don't have to, you know, change their diapers. You don't have to, you know, all of those things. And so before Samuel gets to the, the really easy, the easiest part, Hannah keeps her promise and dedicates him to the Lord. I feel like I would have been tempted if I was Hannah to make excuses and, and put off that time. It's like, no, 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 uh, maybe after, you know, maybe after he learns to ride a bike, you know, maybe then, 
or, or after, his, after his first year of, of, of T-ball. Maybe, maybe after that, maybe after that, then, then I'll give him. Well, well, I'd really like to take some pictures uh, when he's at prom, you know, so maybe I'll dedicate him after, you know, that time. Most, of, most parents that I talk to when their kids become teenagers, that's about the time they're ready to dedicate them to the Lord, so. <laughs> All right, I'll keep my promise now. But she is such a faithful woman and mother of, of uh, Samuel that she keeps her promise. She keeps her promise. Mm. And we're told later on in, in chapter 2, this is chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. If you're still reading with me, you might have to flip the page. It tells us that Eli, again, this, the, the priest, that he would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, may the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. And I love Hannah's story. She is mistreated by her husband's other wife. She's barren, but she's not helpless. Instead of parting and celebrating, instead of trying to ignore the problems that face her in her life, she says, I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray. And she leaves the temple full of hope and the Lord answers her prayers and gives her a son and not just any son, but the son whom we have two books of the Bible named after. Samuel, Hannah's son that she prayed and suffered for, plays a pivotal role in the history of the Bible. Ultimately, Hannah has five more children and is truly blessed as a wife and mother. But we have to ask, okay, what does this mean for us, right? Because times aren't the same today. Things are different. And so mothers, my first encouragement is that on Mother's Day, I hope and I pray that everyone in your life remembers your sacrifice. Some of you had to sacrifice more than others, but all of you had to sacrifice more than any man could imagine. Not to get too off topic, but I know that my mom still talks about the fact that we ruined her body. <laughs> she's, I used to be thin, and you know, she's like, ever since having kids, it's been a, you know, so it's like, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry that, you know, and, I, and again, as a guy, we're just like, what are you talking about? You were hungry, big deal, you know. But, man, we just don't get it. Um, it is tradition, traditionally believed that, that Samuel wrote these books, First and Second Samuel. So what does that mean for the beginning of the book? Who wrote Hannah's prayer down? Samuel, her son. Who wrote the story of Hannah down? Samuel, her son. He honored his mother. That's how he started his book. The man, this man of God that she dedicated to the Lord, that again plays a pivotal role in the history of church, of, of God's history of his interaction with his people, he spends the first two chapters honoring his mother. It is not a bad thing to be honored on Mother's Day. 
Sometimes I think it's tough because we're saying, as a follower of Jesus, I want to be selfless. I want to serve. Let the people in your life serve you today, mothers, okay? Let, let the people serve you. We know Hannah's name because of her selflessness and her faithfulness. We are nothing without our moms. Bless your mother, celebrate her, and remember her sacrifice today. If your mother has passed away, uh, it's a great time to just tell uh, the people in your life about how amazing your mother was. Uh, those stories are, are always good to remember. In, and and I, the second part of this is I want you to understand that I'm, I'm not a prosperity gospel preacher. Far from it, okay? I'm not a prosperity gospel preacher. Some pastors who I think would take great liberty with this, with this passage would say, see, if you just pray hard enough and believe hard enough, God will give you whatever you want. And I'll be the first to tell you that although that happened in this story, that is not true, okay? It is true to this story. It is not true for you because the other part of that would say that if you pray hard enough and it doesn't happen, it's because you didn't pray hard enough. And it's this never-ending cycle of just feeling like you're not enough. But I want to remind you that Hannah, when she left the temple, she left the temple uh, being free from her sadness simply because the Lord heard her prayers, not because she knew that the Lord was going to answer them. So when you read Hannah's story, you see that after uh, she talked to the priests and the Lord heard her prayers, she was no longer sad. The hardest part of her life was believing that God didn't hear her or care. And the hardest part of your life is going to be when, when you believe in your heart that God doesn't hear you or care. Anyone that's gone through one of those seasons of life that you just you can't even describe, divorce, death, great loss, hard transitions, people making decisions on your behalf, man, anytime you go through something like that, it's easy to believe that God doesn't hear you or care about you. But what you need to hear today, what I want you to hear, is don't stop praying. God hears you. He loves you. And when you weep, he is weeping with you. Mothers, women, you will fervently pray Sometimes the Lord will give you exactly what you ask for. And my encouragement is that when the Lord does that, tell the story. Tell the story. When the Lord answers your prayers, tell the story. When you've been praying for a church to love you and accept you and, and you find that church, tell the story. When you've been praying for a great blessing in your life and the Lord blesses you beyond what you could even ever imagine, tell the story. And we know that Hannah did because her son Samuel writes the story down. Let the amazing things that God does through you and in your life, let those be the stories that we pass on from generation to generation. Because then our children will believe the greatest thing that they can do is pray. When things get hard in their life, the greatest things that, that they can offer, that we can offer them is to pray. And the beautiful part about this is that, again, I know I say this a lot, whether you're five or whether you're 105, anywhere, everyone can pray. Everyone can pray. The story teaches us the power of prayer. Never stop praying. Sometimes, 
Even when you pray without ceasing, you'll ask the Lord and he will not give you everything that you want. My encouragement is to pray anyways. Pray anyways. It's not that he doesn't hear you. It's not that he doesn't love you. Pray anyways. That was the story of Hannah. Year after year, she did this. And the greatest blessing that she got was a child that she had to give away to the Lord. But the only reason that we know her name is because she did what she promised to do. The only reason that we know Hannah's story as an amazing mother is because when she made a vow to God, she kept it. I'm going to call the, the worship team to come back up. I, I, am, I am always amazed whenever I speak to my mother and I hear the stories of the sacrifices that were made behind the scenes. Because <laughs> for a kid, you're just like, well, we ate and we went to baseball. But then my mom says, well, remember that first year that you played sports? Well, that year I, I had to get a part-time job just so we could pay for your cleats. And I would do that when you were at school and I hated my job and I hated my boss and it was so tough. It was so emotionally jarring that I barely had anything to give to you. And so for you in that time, you felt like maybe I didn't like you as much as I did before, but the reality was is that I was sacrificing so much for you so that you could have the things that you wanted. And I just want to say thank you to all the mothers for the, self, the, the sleepless nights, the changing of our diapers, cooking dinners, driving us to school, going to our sports games, encouraging us, all that you did for us and continue to do for us. Most of the days of the year, we don't celebrate you enough. And I pray today that we do. Uh, we love you. We recognize how much you have sacrificed for us and that you showed uh, the love and the dedication and sacrifice of Jesus to us. So thank you, mothers. Uh, I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to sing. Uh, make sure all of the women, I have a gift for you, so don't, uh, we'll, we'll get that on your way out, okay? All right, let's pray together. Father, we just, we're so thankful that we have the opportunity to uh, bless the, the women in this church, the mothers. God, help us to be more like them in our selflessness and our ability to, to care for those around us without asking how much that they're giving to us. God, help us to be devoted to prayer like Hannah was, unwavering in her faith. God, we just ask that again, that all the mothers today would be blessed and they, they would know how loved they are by us. And we just ask all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.